Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is off working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. If you'd like to know more about the Sound Health Portal, I would recommend going to SoundHealthPortal.com, scrolling down to the bottom of that screen, clicking on videos, and watching a demo where Sherry has done a live intake online with a person who's volunteered. And an intake means that she does an online recording. It's just a recording. We, we use the term recording and vocal print. They're the same thing, but we call it a vocal print. And does a recording live online and then takes that voice recording through the process of seeing how it gets broken down in the software and analyzed so that you can then, so once you've seen that, this will all make a lot more sense, as I say, then you can go and scroll back up after you watch that video. You can go back to soundhealthportal.com, click on campaigns, and see what's currently available for free trial, which could be something such as uh, PTSD or Parkinson's or Corona conflict or bio diet, which I think is a really great one for finding general, the big picture information of what could be out of balance in your body, which shows up in the, one of the great things that Sherry has come up with recently is what I would call the pie chart. Probably has a much better technical term, but I just, it's a pie chart. And it shows you like, what's the thing you want to look at now that's out of balance? Perhaps it's something in your methylation cascade, which is all about, it's an amazing chart that still makes my mind sort of twirl like a cartoon character every time I see it and Sherry talks about it. Because it's the cascade of how everything bumps into everything else in the process of assimilation, whether it be hormones or digestion or everything that happens in the body is part of the, or a result of the methylation cascade. And so it'll go, oh, there's the thing you want to look at now that's not working, and why is that? And then you get the bigger picture of like, oh, you're not assimilating knack. What's that mean? How's that? What's, what's the possible glitch that's causing that to not occur and the cascade of what that can have the result of? So you can find out all about that at the soundhealthportal.com. Lots of great information there and a bunch of really wonderful demos showing you how it works, what it does. And when you want to know more, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com and there's more information there as well about the Sound Health portal. To hear and share replays of this show, about 15 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, scroll down that page, and you'll see this show there in about 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe a little longer, but usually about that. And there you'll find full show notes as well as links to all of our guests, Lee Tomlinson's book and his website. Lots of videos, speaking of lots of information. Wow. Really good, interesting information. His journey. And so you can go to talktomeguy.com. You can see, you can listen to the show right there. There's a player right at the bottom of the show notes. And or you can see all the links where you can listen to it on all the other, many of the other aggregators, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Audible or Overcast or I'll Stop Now. And you can, with most of those, you can share this show. And this is the kind of information I think 
really is so vital to our health and caring. And with that, the life mission of Patient Lee is to inspire healthcare professionals to return to compassionate care to its rightful place at the forefront of modern healthcare, to benefit patients, their families, the bottom line, and perhaps most importantly, their own suffering burned out cells. Lee Tomlinson had a life many would have considered charmed until the world crashed down and he was diagnosed with stage three throat cancer and subjected to months of life-threatening, debilitating chemo and radiation and extreme pain. Toward the end of his grueling treatments, while hospitalized for a severe infection, a never-ending stream of insensitiveness, unkind acts totally lacking in compassion by the hospital staff, sent Lee into an abyss of emotional despair that made him choose suicide over life. Fortunately, another doctor, a dear friend, stopped him by a deeply stopped him by deeply apologizing on behalf of a healthcare system that had failed to provide him and so many others with even a hint of compassion. And with one simple suggestion, inspired Lee to use his gifts as a speaker, customer service expert, and leader to restore compassion to healthcare, not only for patients, but also for all the overworked, undersupported, burned out healthcare professionals who've literally lost the ability to provide the compassion that led them into medicine in the first place. Lee joins us to talk about his journey in his new book, Compassion Heals from Self-Care to Healthcare. Welcome, Lee. Good morning. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, as you described, uh, given my health history, it's a pleasure to be anywhere. So thank you for having me. <laughs> There is the uh, – no, I'll start here first. I'll, I'll throw that in later. Um, I want to say first, there's a great quote that you have in your site. Cure sometimes, treat often, comfort always. Hippocrates. Yes. I yes. think that is – that's a T-shirt. I'm looking forward to the merch that has <laughs> that on the T-shirt because that's a great, that's a great foundation. So, well, you know, really, it really is interesting. I mean, Hippocrates, everybody sort of remembers him for his, you know, the first line of, um, you know, a doctor's oath, which is first do no harm. Mm-hmm. But those three um, statements are what he calls the um, job description of every healthcare professional on the face of the planet. And two of them are part time treat often, cure sometimes, comfort. Always, not just when you're in a good mood, always. And comfort is, in fact, a definition of compassion. So that's your full-time job. If you're in healthcare, I would argue if you're alive. But if you're in healthcare, that's your full-time job. Everything else is kind of in between. Um, so it's a, it's a great quote. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, it's a really powerful quote. It, it really is. It's such a great foundation. And so I want to jump back to that moment where your doctor friend displayed that kindness. Mm. What was, how was that? Well, I mean, it was transformative because it saved your life. There's that. However, it was really this simple act that led you to this, this whole thread that you're on now. Cause you'd had a really completely yes. different life. Yeah, well, I, I certainly have. 
Um, you know, I've been everything from, you know, professional athlete. Um, I was one of the first people to go to China, you know, after ping pong diplomacy. Um, uh, I've been uh, raised a ton of money for not-for-profits. I've produced award-winning television shows, owned a movie studio, built another one. That could not possibly be further from uh, what I'm uh, blessed to be able to do today. Um, you know, so here's the thing. When I was in that hospital after, you know, six or seven months of just the most excruciatingly painful, grueling um, treatment for my throat cancer, which, and the answer to your question is, no, I never smoked and I never drank. I was a professional athlete, mountain climber, marathon runner, so I didn't do any. I was the most healthy guy going into my ENT ever. Um, in fact, I, I went to see the doctor only because I needed some allergy medicine to be able to play in the California State Senior Amateur Golf Championships up in Pebble Beach. That's what got me into the doctor in the beginning. I walked out three hours later with my diagnosis of stage three, stage four throat cancer mm. and began within a couple of days um, treatment to hopefully slow it down and maybe to put it into remission. So, you know, after all of those months, and I had unlimited amounts of fentanyl patches to try and dull the pain, and they didn't ever remove it, but they did dull it somewhat. That's how bad the pain was. Here I am in this hospital paying $10,000 a day, and now I've got an infection that they can't even identify, an unidentifiable septic infection, um, and I'm dying of cancer, and I'm in extreme pain. I am as miserable as a human can be. If there ever was a time when simple human kindness would have empowered me more than you can remotely imagine, it was then. And I got zero. And here's the thing that I learned, is that when you're in that horrible of a place, all you want is human connection. I mean, it's, it's, it, it just confirms the fact that people see us, they hear us, they understand our pain, and they empathize, and they're trying to do something to treat, cure, and comfort us. I got none of those kind acts from these people. And when you put your life in somebody's hands, I don't know about you, but that makes them a god or a goddess. I mean, that's an extraordinary amount of power. And I don't know these people intimately. It's not like I spent years getting to know them and decided they were worthy of that trust. That's just the way it turned out. And when I got zero, I thought, wow, I'm paying all this money. I'm dying of cancer. I'm dying of an infection. I'm in such pain. It's crazy. And these people don't think I'm worth a little bit of human kindness. They must be right, and the world would clearly mm -hmm. be a better place. I'd become a burden. And so when um, my doctor friend came to visit, and I was able, because speaking was incredibly painful, I was able to sort of croak out the story of what I had experienced. The fact that he sat there with me, put his hand on my arm to physically connect with me, and let me finish, never interrupted, and when I finally paused to catch my breath, he apologized to me for the care and the compassion, is the word he used, that I hadn't gotten. 
And he said, and Lee, you're not the only one. He said, this is becoming the norm. He said, half of people who come into health never get any compassion, half of them. And he said, so rather than giving up and giving into this thing and to them, how about this? How about you fight? And if you live, how about rather than becoming a statistic, you do something to see if you can't turn this around. It is fixable. We just need people to be dedicated to that. And in that moment, the fact that he, a God in my own life, the fact that he thought enough of, that, of me that I could actually do that and took the time to tell me and suggest it gave me the purpose to move forward and gave me a reason to live. And out of that came the Compassion Heals movement. And its effort and its purpose is to bring the immense, now scientifically proven healing power of simple human kindness back to healthcare, and not just healthcare, the whole world. If it can treat, cure, and comfort us in our time of need, it can heal, cure, and comfort the world as well. And so it's not just a matter of bringing it back to healthcare. It's to bring it back to the world, to each and every one of us, that human connection that we're born with. So that's uh, kind of how it all came about. Yeah. And and one of the things, one of the reasons that I was excited to talk to you this, was founded on the compassion was that, as the audience knows, six or seven years ago, I was hospitalized and had 30 hours of surgery and was in a healthcare facility for a year while I was in between surgeries and recovering. And so when I watched your TED talk and you came out in a gown, I snorted (laughs) because I spent a year wearing a gown. Um, The only difference was in my case, I wore two gowns, so I didn't scare anybody walking away from them. Right. Oh, smart, smart. And... One of the things that I did, I was in a large facility in Northern California, about 250 beds, three people to a room with curtains in between. Mm. And I, in my recovery process, as I was able to be ambulatory again, I would walk around and I began, because I, I'm this person now that I was then, I was just under repair. And I went out and I had relationships with some of the patients in the, in the facility, mm. meaning, you know, conversational. I would see somebody sort of, you know, staring off into space because they were probably drugged out of their minds and or being yes. ignored. And so as I did my rounds, because yes. I was trying to do a lot of walking, I would make connection with people. Mm-hmm. Not because I had an agenda, but because it was good for me. It, it was good for me to have those connections. And I had that same thing with a number of the staff members. However, on the other hand, I will say that my primary doctor, this is one of those chain of healthcare facilities where you have like four doctors for 250 beds who sort of fly through and see everybody and then the charge nurse takes care of most of it, 90% of it. And my doctor and I's relationship consisted of eventually she and I got into a fight because... Mm. I had already done years of herbal research and other kinds of interviews, and I had a lot of actual founded knowledge about healthcare, and mm-hmm. wanted to like take something radical like vitamin C, and we got into a big fight about it. And at some point, she, her her caring was, okay, I get it, you know what you're doing, I'll just leave you alone. Call me if you need me. 
you know, it was, that was sort of it. That was our com- moment of compassion. And <clears throat> so it was really, I was excited because I think the compassion part is so missing in these kind of factory healthcare systems. And it's, and it's makes me sad because I, we're of the similar vintage. So I had a family doctor who was there, you know, casually, he was a cocktail cigarette mm-hmm. smoking, you know, with my parents kind of friend, but he was also our primary care physician. He brought, he was actually my birthing doctor and then my doctor into my team. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Wow. A GP, you know, an old school GP with compassion. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. Go ahead. Wow. Well, no, all I'm going to say is, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you had that experience, but to go to one simple part of it is, I will bet you that the vast majority of those other patients that you kindly connected with will remember that connection for the rest of their life because it came at a time when we're scared, we're in pain, and we need human connection to let us know that others actually care about us. And that's what you did. That is the very definition of compassion. You saw their pain. You saw their separation. You saw their disconnect from humanity. And, yes, that's the cool thing about compassion. The benefits, which are enormous and can be life-saving for the patient, are scientifically proven. What's also true is exactly those same benefits occur for the giver. Talk about a gift that keeps on giving. If I, you know, am compassionate to you, I feel better. What's a, who was it? Was it, um, I forget who said it, but um, if you want to make somebody happy, be kind. If you want to be happy, be kind. And it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. Giving and yeah. getting the, the same psychological, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual benefits Um, of compassion are the same for the giver as the receiver. And even more interesting, scientifically proven, there is no theory here. This is massive data. Uh, And if you doubt any of it, go to a book called Compassionomics, um, which is a summation of all of the studies about the power of compassion in one spot. But it is so powerful that Not only is it giver and getter, but when you get it, you are highly likely to pass it along. So it's a gift that when you give it, not only does it benefit you, not only does it benefit the receiver, but both of you go out into the world wanting to do it again. So it kind of ripples through. So if we could, why it's called a movement, if we could get it where people are actually, rather than complaining, actually finding ways to contribute to the quality of life on the planet by being kind and doing it intentionally, I believe that with that ripple effect, we could have a massive positive impact on the quality of life on the planet, which is severely, at least in my experience, severely missing right now. I've never been alive, and I'm thankful to be 72. I've never been alive where there's so much anger and vitriol and racism and violence and the numbers are astronomically high these days. We, we, we need to do something differently. If anybody's got a better idea on how to bring us together as a people than mutual kindness, I'm open to it. I've just never seen it. 
You know, we are bred for connection, biologically, genetically. Uh, it's in our DNA. When we were surrounded by Tyrannosaurus rexes and we were running around in animal skins as cavemen and women, it was never, ever, ever survival of the strongest or the fittest or the toughest. You got eaten no matter what. What saved <laughs> us was it, was it was survival of the kindest who were able to go to their fellow cavemen and say, hey, guys, give me a split second. I noticed that you lost three people, you know, your two kids last night to a Tyrannosaurus. How about this? When you go to sleep, I will watch over you. If you do me a favor, how about this? When I go to sleep, you watch over me, and together we'll form a tribe, a community, and we'll watch out for each other. It's how we survive as human beings. Well, if it worked with that much danger, will it work now? Maybe more than ever. And Again, if anybody's got a better idea of how to bring us together as humans, not as men, women, not as, you know, immigrants, not immigrants, not as white, black, or not as gay, straight, no, humans, just humans. At the end of the day, biologically, we are all identical. We just have to reconnect as human beings. And the best way to do it is with simple human kindness. Sounds too simple, too easy. Well, if it was so easy, tell you what, go out and do 10 kind acts today. It's so easy. Go right ahead. Yeah, I, I just don't understand. For a long time, I've had the, you know, why not be kind? It's free. You yes. know, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind. It doesn't no. cost nothing. Just even holding the door open for somebody or helping somebody with their yeah. groceries. or I mean, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go out and swim across a, I don't know. Uh, there are those kinds of people that do those acts. You're probably one of those guys that would go help rescue somebody because you're a climbing, you know, dopamine-seeking well, sure. junkie. And I mean that in the most kind well, of way. Well, that's true. No, no, and that's true. However, what's interesting is people you would never suspect would jump in a river to rescue somebody or run into a burning building. When the situation presents itself, our DNA takes over. And our DNA says, when I see the pain of another, I want to do something to help. We are bred that way. We may have lost it through our life. We may have given it up. We may have chosen not to express it. But it's still real. Because there are people who do extraordinary life-saving acts of kindness and could never tell you why. It's just, well, in the moment, I mean, that was what needed to be done. I mean, they were in a car that had crashed, it was going to catch on fire. What else is I going to do? Well, if I thought about it, I may not have because they're X, Y, and Z, but in those moments of sheer reaction, our natural reaction is to help others remove or at least relieve pain. So we just, we're denying our, we're denying our uh, natural composition, and when we do that, it makes us crazy which is why, in addition to all of the, the political craziness going on, is the separation, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual um, disassociation from our fellow humans 
literally has made us crazy. And as long as that continues, it's going to be a hard, hard, hard battle to be able to reconnect. Now, you made a great point. Everybody thinks that, well, you know, it's not compassionate unless they save somebody's life or I put their kids through college. Or No. Those few moments you spent visiting with other patients for no other reason than you thought it was a good idea, you knew it was a good idea, and you acted on it to connect with them for their sake and yours, because it made you feel good too. That's what we're talking about. That's the power of kindness. It can be those little acts, particularly in a time like right now, when there's so little goodness being expressed in the world, or at least goodness that we hear about. So again, you know, small is all when it comes to kindness. Simply opening a door, give a dollar to a homeless person. Um, you know, let somebody, you know, wave somebody on the side of the road in, you know, who's trying to merge, wave them in in front of you, slow down a little bit. Holy cow, they'll remember that for years. That's so rarely happens, at least in California. Um, so it's not about how big a kind act. Yeah, I guess if yeah. you want to make somebody, you know, like, you know, shake their head, wave them in in front of you. Slow down. You're going 70. They're coming out at 20. Slow down. Let them in. They're going to tell their friends about they're going to be so knocked out. It's so rare. Anyway, you get the idea, though. It's not about big. No, I was, about I was laughing kind. because... I, I was laughing because we have a trend now on on r- roads where we're using roundabouts instead of four-way stops. Oh, and it's sure. always mind-blowing to somebody when you actually have a yield sign and you wave them in. You're like, and, no, and, you and go you ahead. Do. You go first. And everybody's like, I'm so confused. They're letting me go? Really? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Should I? Should I not? Are they actually going to And I'm not doing it. Doing I'm doing it kind That's of funny. as a kind gesture, but also as a precautionary because a lot of times people just zoom through. So it's like, no, you yeah. go first. I can wait. It's okay. You go. You're obviously yeah. on the way to, you know, save a building. So you go first. I'm, I'll wait. It's okay. Well, so, it's so cool when you're doing that because people, you know, you end up smiling at them, they smile at you, then there's the confusion, you both laugh about it. That raises your body's health. It releases all sorts of internal uh, substances that improve your mood, improve your health, uh, raise your immune system, um, give you pleasure um, just from that. So it's not about, you know, putting somebody through college or buying them a house. No, just tiny, small acts of kindness. That's all it takes. And it can change the world. You know, what is it? Um, um, I'll think of her name in a minute. said, you know, never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has, which gives mm-hmm. me hope that maybe yes. I can make a difference in somebody's yes. life. And so let's, I want to talk about your care effect movement because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you've lectured to, hundreds of groups, possibly thousands yes. by now. You've been doing it quite a while. And yes. you're, you're really speaking a lot to healthcare givers on whatever level they mm-hmm. are. And mm-hmm. I look forward to when this moves out of healthcare givers to like, hey, let's just gather and talk about being kind and caring. What do you think? Yes. Uh, there's that. Uh, 
So talk about the yeah. CARE effect, the CARE, that's actually an acronym, effect movement, what that is. And that was really the thing that was your launch point from that doctor's act of kindness. You went, well, let, I have, yes. I'm a schmoozer. I'm a presenter. I've made movies. I'm a production guy. Yeah. This is yeah. what I should do. And here you are doing yeah. the CARE Effect movement. Talk about that, because I think it's really, having been in a healthcare facility for a long time, I think this is really powerful for that world and many others. Well, it is. And, it, again, it was designed. I mean, originally my thought was um, when he explained it to me and I started to study it, I mean, understand that when I was at that lowest point and considering suicide, um, and he made the suggestion, I honestly, I have to say, I thought that, first of all, I, I don't know about you, but I've never done a movement before, so like, I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew it had something that would continue forward. But I started to study the subject of compassion. He used that word. I honestly did not know what it meant, and most people don't. Compassion is defined. Most people think it's empathy, which is, oh, I feel your pain. Well, that's a wonderful thing. At least I know somebody else gets the fact that I'm in pain, but it doesn't do anything whatsoever to relieve the pain. Compassion is I get your pain, and what can I do to help relieve it? What action can I take to help relieve it? So originally, given the experience I had in that hospital, (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say I thought my job was to in this movement was to identify all of the uh, healthcare professionals who lack passion and get them out of healthcare. I mean, mm-hmm. get them thrown mm-hmm. out. That's how you solve the problem of uh, bad care. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Now you have to understand with this adrenaline addiction that I have, I've been hospitalized in six different countries. I've broken over a dozen bones, some as many as three times. I've had toes amputated. I had thumb pulled off. I've had more uh, infections and infectious diseases. You get the idea. So be very clear. I want to make it very clear. I love my doctors and nurses. I owe my life to them on so many occasions. It's ridiculous. And all over the world. But the one thing I experience with consistency, in addition to medical competency, which is obviously critical. Um, in all of those experiences that I can remember over my lifetime, was they treated me like a living, breathing human being with hopes and dreams and family, and you know, I felt seen, heard, and appreciated. So, getting those people who were miserable humans out, whether I thought was what the mission would be, nothing could have been further from the truth. What I discovered is the vast majority, vast, vast, vast majority of people who get into healthcare do so because they're driven by, I see people's pain and it just so agonizes me. I have to do something to help relieve it and where better than in healthcare. That's why they get into it. Then they get into a system that does not value their well-being and grinds them into the ground to the point where they burn out. And the problem with burnout, aside from the fact that I can tell you when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was the most burned out person you ever met, so I know what I'm talking about, is you become emotionally numb. You can't 
handle anybody else's pain. So you numb yourself. You either do it by completely just shutting down or alcohol or drugs or addiction or whatever. So what I realized is, is that two things. One, healthcare professionals are the most giving people on the face of the planet. And they do so to their own disadvantage. They give and give and give and give and think that taking care of their own needs, being compassionate to themselves and relieving their own pain and suffering is selfish. Nothing could be further from the truth. So my mission is part of this one. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to take care of yourself first, not patients, you. Because if you're not 100% healthy or close, you're going to do more damage than good because you won't be able to give us compassion, which is one of the two essential elements of healing, treatment and compassion, the two most critical elements to healing. So that's number one. And the second is is to remind the institutions in which they work, you need to treat your workers, your employees, your doctors, your nurses, and everybody else like patients. They have the hardest job arguably on the face of the planet, dealing with sick and dying people every day, every minute. I mean, you've got to be joking. Who wants to do that? Thanks God they do. I couldn't. So you need to treat them. You need to treat them like suffering patients and give them time and give them space to be able to take care of their own health and support them in doing it. So those became the two most important uh, purposes. One, to inspire healthcare professionals to take better care of themselves. And number two, to remind people who run those institutions that the health of their professionals is key, is essential to both competent and compassionate treatment and care. So that's what it started out to be. And then, you know, as I began to look at the world and we got into COVID and, you know, all of the other messes that are going on in the world, I realized, wait a minute, there are a lot of suffering people out there who could use a little loving. And loving's another word for compassion. We need to bring this mission to everybody in the world and encourage them to simply be more kind. Oh, it's too simple. It's too, it's, it can't solve all the problems in the world. Really? Well, it worked in the days of the caveman. Why wouldn't it work now? Let's pull together. Let's find common ground. Common ground is we all need to connect with other human beings through kindness. That's connection. Kindness is connection. So why don't we commit to doing Small acts of kindness every day. And that's why we instituted the, what we call the Compassion Heals Challenge. This is a seven-day challenge. You sign up on my website to take it. We encourage you for seven days. And all we ask is, rather than sit around and piss and moan, do something to change the world. And that single kind act you do, one a day for seven straight days, a one-week challenge, Open the door. Oh, there's one. Next day. Give a dollar to a homeless person. Oh, there's two. Next day, call an old friend who you haven't seen in 20 years and just reminisce about old times. Connect again. There's three. You know, we're really trying to move people to action, not to call people out, not to single people out. No, simply to say, 
If you're willing and you want to make the world a better place, start with you. Take action to do something to solve the problem. And what you can do is simply be a little bit more kind than you are right now, intentionally rather than reactionally. So that's really kind of how it came about. That's what the goal of it is. And, yes, it has gone from healthcare to around the world, and we're thrilled by that. We think that's how the world can be healed and get back to a more loving, kind, caring society where we're happy to step out of our door rather than terrified. And I think it's really interesting that in, in a certain way, from my perspective, is that it's kind of the thing that we're in an airplane and they tell us to put on our oxygen mask first. Yeah. 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 That we can't really help others until we have our mask on first. Once I'm able to breathe, then I can help a lot of other people versus like, wait, no, let me put it on the child first and the other six people. No, we have to, we really have to take that moment and get our oxygen mask on first, start being kind to ourselves, actually self-caring. There's another yep. merch item yes. with your brand on it. Yes. Um, self-caring. Yeah. Start, number one, start with self-caring and put on our mask first, then help others. Because that was one of the things that I observed in my own healing process is that I was connecting with people because I, I liked it. It made me feel better mm-hmm. because the machine around mm-hmm. me was, and that's, I, this is a large lead into a question. The machine around me was, I, I found the charge nurses and those kinds of people compassionate for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that was partially because I, I sort of established rapport with them. The bureaucrats, the bureaucrats for the most part, and I apologize to bureaucrats that are not this way, but with the bureaucrats, for the most part, the paper shufflers, were just mindless drones who it all seemed to be yeah. about the bottom line, and there wasn't any caring yeah. whether this or yeah. that. It was just like, are we making money? Where's the money? Here's the money. We need more money. Yeah. Where's the money? Yeah. 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 And that well, leads to the question of, do you think that was there There was a time, as I said in the in the early part of the show, I had the same family doctor that brought me into the world as the delivery doctor all the way to like into my teens. That was the same family doctor. Mm-hmm. And he see, he was very compassionate. He was caring, mm-hmm. not just because mm-hmm. I was a family friend, but, but he was that way. What do you think occurred in the medical world and the healthcare world where this has trended away? It seems like it's yeah. trended away. That's my observation. Oh, it has absolutely trended away. I mean, over the past 25 years, 24 out of the last 25 years, the presence of compassion in healthcare has decreased every single year. It's down to the point where 50% of all patients today say that they experience zero compassion while being treated. Mm. Now, when you look at the scientific benefits, which can be the difference between life and death. This is not little stuff. This is powerful stuff. When you consider that 50% of patients today are not being provided the uh, medicine of compassion, deemed to be integral to the best outcomes in the shortest period of time, if that were a pill and someone in a healthcare organization said, yeah, you know what? had a bad night last night. 
you know, my husband and I argued and the kids were paid and, you know, my car was screwed up and I couldn't get to work and I had to take the bus. I'm not going to give that pill to them patients because I'm bummed. They'd be sued for malpractice. Well, guess what? That's what's happening. And again, it's nobody's fault. However, healthcare, medicine, sadly, on so many levels, particularly on a nationwide level, has become a business. It's not a calling. Now, having said that, no money, no mission. Mother Teresa actually said that. No money, no mission. You have to have money to run a massive hospital. And people think hospitals are making billions and billions of dollars. They are making money, but their margins are very small. So from a business perspective, they have to be very careful about where and how they spend their money and whether or not they come out ahead of the game or going into debt. Fine. I have no problem with that. I'm a business guy first and foremost. Having said that, when you forget what you're in business to do, which is to treat, cure, and comfort your patients always, when you lose track of that and the comfort part goes to 50% of our patients aren't getting any comfort whatsoever, which is another name for compassion, we're doing something wrong here. And that's the other part of my mission, which is to wake people up to that fact that it's, yes, you have to make money, but when you make money to the disadvantage of your employees and you kill them by overworking them, who then kill your patients because they're incapable of being compassionate, something's broken. That's the bigger problem that needs to get solved. How do we make sure they make a profit and take care of their people who take care of their patients? That's my bigger mission, is to remind healthcare professionals of that and the fact that we have to put people first. We are in the treating, curing, and comforting business. So if we hurt our employees, it's no different than if we hurt our patients. And when we hurt our employees, we hurt our patients. That is morally and ethically deplorable, and that's the bigger problem. That's the problem we have to address. What is the answer? Well, all I can do as one human being is to remind people of the negative impact of a lack of compassion for both. And hopefully in the reminding of that and the, and the enormousness of the problem, hopefully we can get some people to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to change our business model here. That's a victory. So on a one-to-one basis, yep, that's my job. On an institutional basis, yep, that's my job. You know, I aim to change both for the better so that we can continue as a species and live happy, fulfilled, satisfying lives and be healthy in the bargain. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but I have to try. I have to try. Well, it also seems that... Now, again, from a patient perspective, having been that patient, um, really that if you give kindness, if you add kindness to the care, that ultimately you're going to have a better product. 
because are. people mean, are going to have the experience of saying, you know, like my surgeons, both my surgeons, um, I have nothing but respect for. And they were both, mm-hmm. in the moment when I was close to dying, the one surgeon I didn't even meet before I was all sort of cut apart and put back together. We'll just make Wait. that a, a quick, fast thing, yeah. And wow. But then I met that's her later, a, and she a, was... That's a description for you. Sorry, it's a cinematic thing. Together, it's, like, it's a cinematic thing. I know, I know. You know, it's... A, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I get it. It's Been really true. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And when I met her later, she was just the sweetest, kindness, caring, mm. talking to me about mm. the situation I had going on with some mm. of the repair work mm. that needed to be done. Mm. And she was just that same way. And then my other doctor uh, was the head of the urology department at UC Med Center. And he was just oh. like... Busy as, insert bad words. I mean, really, like, unbelievable. He also reminded me of a slightly mature version of Dookie Hauser. I mean, he was really, like, stunningly uh-huh. young for what he was doing. But he was a brilliant surgeon. And, again, the same thing. In the, in the moments that we had together, he was fully there with me yeah. in communication. We would occasionally argue but he would be willing to have that with me and have that yep. conversation and go, no, and here's why. Yep. And it was an amazing thing. It, it, I still feel very positive about them, and I would have nothing mm-hmm. but good things to say about them. And even the monster, you know, when I was at the UC Med Center, it is kind of a factory. I mean, it's a really huge facility. But, well, but everybody there... So I get it. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, but everybody there was the same way. It, it came from the top down of, we care about people here. Mm, mm, mm. And that was well, like an amazing thing. It was an amazing yeah, experience. It is. Well, and also, um, you know, you mentioned, look, if we treat it as a business, so why, why would we care about compassion? It doesn't make us any money. I would argue that. My guess is, is that those doctors and others that you could recommend to other people or not, the ones you will recommend will be that surgeon who took time with you, who connected with you, who proved by her actions that she really cared about you, not just as a patient, but as a human being. You're going to recommend them for the rest of their life and yours. So if you have a hospital system that's not known for kindness, you're going to lose business. Your patients are going to go away, and they're going to say bad things about you. Oh, and then they're going to go on social media. And then they're going to, by the way, if they happen to be of an age where they're getting Medicare, they have to fill out an HCAPS. They have to fill out a survey when they leave the hospital, not about their treatment, but about their care. And if those numbers from those surveys are below average, instead of getting a dollar reimbursement from Medicare, you get 90 cents. Mm. If you're average, you get a dollar. If you're above average, you get a dollar 10. So you want to make money? Go ahead and Mm. be more kind, caring, and compassionate in your practice. You'll get higher reviews. You'll retain them as customers forever, why would they go elsewhere? They got cured and they were treated with kindness, and you will make more money on reimbursement. So from a sheer business standpoint, 
you know, if you call compassionate care customer service, I mean, I'm paying for a service. The fact that, you know, you cut me into pieces, it's still a service. You know, if you have that kind of reviews, you're going to make more money off your patients. You're going to make more money from the government. Um, and you're going to stay alive in a time when hospitals are closing right, left, and center for lack of profitability. So it's a great business strategy. Customer service is everything. The most successful businesses in the world are the ones that have the best customer service, period. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. if you're in the hospital business, compassionate care is customer service. You want to make money and you want to stay in business longest and be the most profitable you can be, give great customer service, a.k.a. compassionate care. It makes sense on every level. You're healing better. You're keeping your people healed. And you're increasing your bottom line. It's good for you. It's good for your patients. It's good for your hospital. How does that not work? What's the commitment there? We're going to make it a standard that you must be as compassionate as you are competent, and we're going to hold you to that. And when you're not able, we're going to call you out, and we're going to give you help. What do you need to do to get back to that lovely healing self that you were six days, six weeks, six months ago? What do you need? You need time off. You need a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What can we do to help? And then once we set that standard, you know, which talking about your UC system, UCLA Health was in the 45th percentile, which means they're in the bottom half of all of the hospitals in America Mm. when it came to care, 46%. And then you had a guy named Dr. David Feinberg who came in Mm. as the head of UCLA Health. And he said, this is unacceptable. This is horrible. We're going to raise the quality of care, not treatment. They're very good when it comes to treatment, but not care. He took them from the 46th percentile up to the 99th. Wow. That took five years. But that was one man saying, um, this is not okay. Now, it's interesting because he's a doctor of psychology, Dr. David hmm. Feinberg. Uh, he now runs Google Health, actually. A brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, Anyway, um, but all it takes is one man's commitment or one woman's to say, no, this is not right. We're changing it. And to do what needs to be done, it only takes one. So we say, oh, I can't do it. No, but you can talk to other people. You can organize a small group. Never forget that a small group of committed people is the only thing that has ever changed anything in our history. Movements don't start with 50 million people. They start with two, three, four, five who go, um, we need to make some changes here. Let's band together and let's do this thing. This can be done. We can get back to those days where you remember the connection. Connection doesn't take time. There's a video that I show in my, as you mentioned, you know, I've done, gosh, I've done hundreds and hundreds of keynotes. I such a privilege to talk to these people who have saved my life. And it's a a video of a firefight in Fallujah with our U.S. troops. They're surrounded. And again, these are head cams. It's not like somebody's sitting there with a camera filming the event. But they're head cams. And they're um, pinned down. They're being decimated. There There are fatalities already. And all of a sudden, one of the soldiers gets shot in the neck. 
a medic, and they're all like trying to stay flat on the ground so they're not big targets, um, sees his comrade get shot in the neck. And he's a medic. I understand they're shooting at you and they're shooting bombs at you. I understand all that. And, you know, there's good reason to say stay in your foxhole, bud. No. He jumps up so fast, he doesn't even grab his helmet in a firefight, runs over, grabs this guy, throws him over his shoulder in sand, so he, you know, it's hard to run fast, throws him over his shoulder and runs him over to uh, an evac helicopter, sets him down in it, you know, leans over and sets him in. But before he lets him go, he gives him a kiss on the forehead. Now think about mm. that. This guy, the injured fellow, isn't going to remember the shot in the neck. He's ugly. What he's going to remember for the rest of his life is that kiss on the forehead. And the biggest thing that I hear, well, you know, I don't have time. I, you know, I have too many cases. I have time out. Look at this video. How long did that kiss take? An eighth of a second. Do you think that that soldier who was injured felt love, felt seen, felt heard, felt appreciated, felt supported, felt taken care of, felt safe? Absolutely. Took a nanosecond. So that's an excuse that I don't buy. I hear it. You know, we have too many cases. We have too fast. It takes a nanosecond. If you're intentional and you know you need to do it and you're totally present with that patient, not the one before, not the one after, not what you're doing next Tuesday, if you're right there, right then, hand on the arm, straight look right in the eyes when you have a conversation, calling someone by the name, you know, first or last, whatever they prefer. Those tiny acts of kindness make people seem seen, heard, and appreciated. It's not about time. It's about intention. And that's what I try to wake people up to. Well, in that particular, I, I heard that story on one of your videos that I watched, and I thought – how a how amazing it was well a how crazy it was and how amazing yeah right, right. And, however the the kiss on the forehead was in my perspective a kind of blessing for either direction yes. you're being blessed Indeed. in a certain way if you don't stay and or you're being yes. blessed if you do stay either way you're being yep. seen you're being acknowledged yep. you're being cared about yep. And good luck, either way. Exactly. And, exactly. and that's really powerful. And just know somebody loves you. Just know somebody yeah. loves you. Yeah. yeah. You know, if that's your last thought, I am loved. Boom. I got to be honest with you. I haven't been to death yet. I've been close. But I haven't made it over to the other side. And I don't want to right. anytime soon. Thank you very much. But what other feeling do you want to have when you pass other than I'm loved. Yeah. I'm cared about. That's all any of us ever want. Yeah. I'm important. I make a difference. People love me. Life is 
good even if I'm in misery and shot in the neck. That's the power of this stuff. This isn't BS. This isn't, you know, touchy-feely, blah, 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 blah. This is the real deal. And again, look at the numbers, look at the studies, the benefits of it mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually are immense and a necessity for the best outcome regardless of what ails you. So it's, you know, it's malpractice if you don't get it, but it also kills you. It also breaks your heart and can cause you to hurt yourself or give up and give in. And that's when people who are on the edge die, Mm -hmm. is when they have no hope whatsoever. Nobody cares about me. I'm invisible. Why am I even alive? There's another story um, that I sometimes use in my talks about a guy who wrote a suicide note in San Francisco, actually, which is interesting because my dad actually rescued someone, pulled someone who was ready to jump. My dad ran up and grabbed the guy who's standing on the thing about my dad grabbed him, pulled him back, saved his life, and the guy went on for the rest of it. He lived a long life. Anyway. So the fellow writes a note and says, I'm going to go to the bridge and I'm going to jump. I've had it. But I won't if I make eye contact with one single human being on my Watson Bridge. Guess what? They found this poor guy's body the next day floating in the bay. He didn't make simple eye contact with a single. Nobody would look at him. He felt mm-hmm. invisible, and that's why he jumped. How long would that, would that I see you, a little nod of the head? a little blink of the eyes, a little smile. How long does that take? That's probably less time than a kiss. So, you know, again, compassion isn't about how big. Small is all. It's about I will be more kind because the world needs healing. Can I heal everybody? Will every single act of kindness save a life? No. But I promise you this. It will have a very positive impact on the person who gets it, and they're highly likely to pass it along to others, which means your little kind act can be passed along and passed along and passed along and can have tens, hundreds, thousands of more positive kind acts going out in the world. But you've got to start somewhere, and it's got to start with you, or things will never change. So if anybody wants to, you know, is willing to not just sit around and talk about how crummy things are, but wants to make a difference, go to my website. It's really simple. It's Lee, L-E-E, Tomlinson, T-O-M-L-I-N-S-O-N.com, www.leetomlinson.com. And on that first page, it'll say, take the challenge. Sign up for it, not for me, for you, for the world. Say, I'm going to do seven days of kind acts, one a day for seven days. We will inspire you. We'll send you materials. Oh, and at the end of it, when you complete the seven days, we'll give you a free digital copy of my book, free. You don't even have to buy it. We'll give it to you as a thank you for your kindness. So you get a copy of Compassion Heals from Self-Care to Healthcare. You've put seven kind acts more than usual into the world. That is a substantial contribution to the quality of life 
on the planet. You don't know whether that person who gave that kind act was walking to a bridge. You don't know how much pain they're in, but they are in pain. You want to make a difference? Just be kind. That's all we're asking. It will make a difference. It saved my life. It would have saved that fellow's life. And the fellow who got shot in the throat, I promise you, as he was recovering, it eased his pain and aided in his recovery because he knew he was loved and appreciated. That's great, Lee. I'm, I'm really, there's a whole other show talking about how this, this act of caring could help really transform where we are at this point in time. I just think it's Absolutely so true. huge. The going out and, you know, be kind. It's free. Just do it. Try it. Right. Try it for a week. Yeah. It's a great read. I highly recommend the read of Compassion Heals. It's a good read. Well, thank you. Tell thank your you. friends. Thank you. Thank you. And you thank get you it very for much. free, for God's sakes. My <laughs> right. What's not to like? Don't you get it for free. Challenge. Exactly. What's not to like? You save yeah. the money. You get a book. You did some good in some lives. Holy cow. I mean, that's a good week right there. <laughs> exactly. All right, Lee, that was awesome. I knew we were going to have fun, and there could be a part two. Um, but with that... Well, I uh, hope so. Yeah. And everybody have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, Richard, thank you. Thank you.